0: Show. Been down Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with veteran New York City jazz trombonist Clifton Anderson. We talked to him on January 15th, 2021 about quite a bit, like his latest 2021 CD, Been Down This Road Before, this COVID-19 world, and his life in music. He was born in Harlem and surrounded by music. At seven, he got his first trombone that was a gift from his uncle, Sonny Rollins. He went on to the prestigious Fiorello LaGuardia High School of Music and Arts, and he would perform with the finest cats all over the world, including his uncle, Sonny Rollins. His story is a must to hear. Dig it.
1: Thanks for taking a minute out. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for the interview. Thank you. You bet, man! I love the new album. Been down this road before. There's so much flavor going on in this. I mean, you have family on it. There's you know sounds that are very unique on this album. It sounds like you were having a good time making this.
2: Oh yeah, it was a it was a
1: joy making the record. Actually,
2: it took us a little while to do it, but um, you know, but it was fun all every step of the way.
1: And I think probably now with the way the world is, it's probably good to have a recording that's out there that. Makes people feel good, and 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 what are your thoughts on this coming out during such a unique time, of pandemic on the planet?
2: Some of the 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 record actually it, it, it was it is is uplifting. It's always all my music is always really meant to be uplifting. I try to make my music uplifting and to make people think about issues. So the pandemic came along kind of obviously after it was it was done but the idea behind the record was to uh bring attention to ourselves you know, as human beings you know and to try to um kind of elicit um some kind of uh, uh self thought about who we are and what we are and what we're doing you know and how we affect each other
1: do you think that made your music deeper do you think it gave you more vigor
2: Oh, yeah, I think any music that that any musician makes needs to have needs to be substantial has to have some type of something behind it to make it more powerful that will that will by nature make the music more powerful i i that's where I write from i mean I tend to write music about you know current events or situations and uh people that are uh, affected by life you know personally, you know, uh, relationships, things like that. I tend to write music based on those kind of things. So they're based on, it's based on a lot of personal uh, experiences that I have, you know, and that have impacted me a certain, at a certain level.
1: Well, and you hit the ground running. You're from Harlem. Your dad was a church organist, and you have a famous uncle. Was it a foregone conclusion that music was going to become your destiny?
2: No, actually it wasn't, although, you know, my parents told me I had an affinity for music they could tell because, uh, you know, they would watch Perry Mason, you know, the old Perry Mason, uh, TV show, and when the music came on, you know, you had that big, uh, theme music that, for the Perry Mason show, and I would, I was like three years old, they said, or something, and I I would sit up there and kind of conduct the music, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so so they, uh, they knew that I, that I had something for music. But as I grew older and I got more involved in music, I was also involved in tennis. I wanted to be a, a professional, possibly a professional tennis player. The music kind of pulled me a little bit further, which was kind of, in a way, to the dismay of my mother because uh, my mother knew I had a talent. She had gone through a lot of things. She, you know, she came up with Sonny. And she saw a lot of the things that Sonny had to go through in the music industry and in life and how, you know, musicians were treated and all this kind of stuff. So she wasn't really that uh, keen on me becoming a jazz musician. You know, she tried to actually kind <laughs> of steer me in other directions. She did her best, you know. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So how did everything start out for you? What was, what was the first gig like? What, what, what was it like starting out in the music industry?
2: Oh wow, let's see. Um, I played around New York. I was about maybe I started playing professionally maybe around 15 or 16 years old. And I was playing in bands. We had like uh there were a lot of pop bands and R&B bands around at that time. You know, they all had horn sections and things. So I started playing around in some of those bands around New York. And a lot of those um groups they had a lot of fine musicians actually in those bands um i didn't you know i didn't really uh delve into uh this music that I'm playing now really this this style of music until real you know, i mean get really serious with it until I was a little older until I was about maybe seventeen and and I gravitated towards pop music i had you know there was a lot there was a lot of different types of music in the household. My parents had, um, uh, you know, we had country western records. We, they, they had jazz records. They had. Um, uh, uh, my father was an organist, so he, there was there was a lot of uh, organ music and, and church music, and that that was played in the house as well. Popular singers of the time, you know. So there was a lot of different types of music in the house. I like, you know, I was a young guy and all my friends, you know, at that time we were listening to Motown and, you know, Sly and the Family Stone and people like this. So I, I, you know, so I kind of gravitated towards that at an early age. But then as I started developing and getting better and more involved in music, you know, my parents got me, uh, they suggested that I I attend the the High School of Music and Art, uh, Fiorella LaGuardia High School of Music and Art, which is a, a famous... Uh, kind of music school, high school here in New York City. And uh, when I got there, you know, I was always the best little musician in my group, you know, (laughs) hanging out, but when I got to music and art, I met a lot of uh, really, really stellar musicians, and it was very inspiring for me. And some of them were actually beginning to, like, you know, delve into jazz music and study jazz music, and a couple of them kind of started hipping me to some things and that's when I really got a little bit more involved in the music in that side. And then of course there I met, you know, that school has graduated a lot of really well known musicians that are out here, uh that are working at the top of the industry today. There, a lot of them came out of the high school of music and art. And uh I had I met some people there, uh relationships that I still have to this day. You know, the uh one of the guys, uh Steve Jordan, uh the uh great drummer and producer that, that's played, that plays on my record here. I've known him from, from that time. You know, we both were at, at Music and Art at the same time. Nat Adderley Jr. was there right before me. You know, I mean, there's so many people. Uh, Marcus Miller and Omar Hakim came in right after me. You know, Ray Chu. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of people. There, there, there are a lot of, a lot of famous musicians that went there. Yeah, so anyway, that the way that affected me was um it got me, you know, more I started hanging out with musicians who were, you know, delving into these areas more and I and I really liked playing, you know, like the uh the challenge of trying to uh to develop musically that way. So that 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 was really the beginning for me and then I started hanging around New York. There was a lot of music going on at that time that you had access to as a young musician. Uh, so, you know, I used to go and, and, um, hang out at all these places. My parents didn't know I was doing all this stuff. But I would go down to the Village Vanguard, and they used to, in in those days, they had a, uh, they had a back door. And if you knew how to go in, you know, I was hanging with some of the older musicians who would go down there. So we would just, uh, go in the back door. You could go in free. And, uh, there wasn't a big deal with the clubs. If you were in there and, and you were a musician, the clubs didn't have, hassle you to pay any money or anything like that. You could just go and hang out. And uh, that's what I used to do. I used to go there, and then I started studying um, music more in depth. Uh, after Around the time I was still at Music and Art, but I was traveling around the city. There were different uh things to get into, different uh, musical situations to get involved with. Uh, Reggie Workman, the great Reggie Workman, had a program out in Brooklyn called The Muse, and, uh, you know, there were a lot of established musicians that played. They had a big band and there were a lot of established mu- musicians that played in that band. So I got, you know, I was there. I was like a young guy just hanging out with all these people, you know, and uh, a lot of great, a lot of great, great musicians in that band, you know, um, that, uh, that I met and I, I sat next to uh, a couple of the guys. There's a guy, Kiani Zawadi, uh, who, trombonist, who uh, did a lot of work with Barry Harris. And there's another guy, uh, uh, Charles Stevens, who was a, well, he was the lead trombone player with Lionel Hampton for a long time and played in a whole bunch. So these were like seasoned people that, you know, uh, that uh, were, helped to get me moving in the right directions in the music. And also very inspiring. So it just took off from there, you know. And around New York, as I was saying at that time, you could get into a lot of things. There were a lot of jam sessions. There were a lot of uh, opportunities to just be around you. You couldn't always play, you know. The musicians didn't always let you come in and play, but you could be in a situation very easily with a lot of like stellar musicians. Barry Harris had a place down on Eighth Avenue here, uh, the Jazz Cultural Center, and I used to hang out in there too. And, I mean, everybody used to come through there. There used to be a, uh, I mean, you would see a, any given day that you would go down there or evening, you'd go down there. You know, maybe Freddie Hubbard would be there, you know, Woody Shaw. You know, you'd see uh, Clifford Jordan. In fact, I met Clifford Jordan. I started playing with him and his big band from meeting him there. You know, uh, Harold Vick was there. Uh, George Coleman would come through. All these great people, Roland Alexander. You know, trumpet players Tommy Tarrantine was there. There was a guy that we used to call Notes. His name was Richard Williams, a great trumpet player, and trombone players. A lot of great trombone players would would come through there as well. So you know, and then he had he had he always had a great rhythm section. You know, everybody would would hang out down there. So there there was a lot of uh, stuff going on in New York to get into. You know.
1: You know, I, I was fortunate enough to have one conversation with Sonny Rollins and just in that conversation, he was such a transformative figure, an amazing human being. And to have as much access on stage and as a and and, and as a mentor to him had to be huge for you.
2: Well, yeah, it was uh <laughs> my uh <laughs> I, I you know, I ended up working with Sonny for almost I don't know, it's about twenty eight years maybe. Uh, and, uh, but the first couple of years that I, that I, that, you know, Sonny called me up, my mother, you know, I, I should tell you a really quick story if we have a second. You know, sure. uh, uh, you know my mother always told me, you know, well, you we have a famous uncle, you know, who plays, you know, famous, you know, he knows, he's known all over the world and all this kind of stuff. As I started developing and, you know, I, I was at Music and Art and I was starting to play and starting to get a couple things together. So my mother suggested that Sonny come over to the house and get with me, you know, and see where I was at. You know, she said, well, you know, your nephew's starting to play pretty good. You know, you should come and, you know, check him out. So, you know, I had been playing and, I, you know, I was playing with my, you know, my my guys, my little young crew of, of guys and everything. And, uh, you know, we thought we could, you know, handle a couple of tunes and everything. But Sonny came over this one day and we went down into the basement and he and you know and i had this whole tune that i had worked up for him you know that i was going to play and uh we went down to the basement and sonny pulled out his horn and he started blowing and i had never heard anything like that in my life so it kind of um yeah it was very intimidating i couldn't play i couldn't play at all you know so he just played a little while and i listened to him and uh after a while you know he just packed his horn up and you know Uh, you know, he said, well, you know, I guess he told my mother, well, you know, he didn't really play anything, but, you know, maybe he's not ready yet or whatever. So my mother said, well, one day you guys are going to be playing together. She told me, you know, she said, so, you know, you got to keep working at it, you know, you're going to be playing with your uncle at some point. And he eventually called me up and uh, asked me, I think the first thing that, that happened I hope I, get, I can remember this correctly. The first thing is, that happened is he asked me to come play on a recording that he was doing. I think the name of the record was Sunny Days, Starry Nights. And um, by that time, you know, I was more advanced at that point. You know, I'd been playing and everything, playing around. And so I came and uh I went and he was recording out in California in those days. So we flew out to California and, and we uh Recorded at Fantasy Studios, but you know, recording with him also. Well, to make a long story short, there's nothing that was, uh, that, I, that could prepare me for working with Sonny Rollins. Sonny, everything was very different that Sonny did. He was very spontaneous, extremely spontaneous, and um, even in recording. I mean, I was used to, at that point, I had done a couple of recordings already, and, you know, I, you know, my understanding was, you know, you go in a, in a recording studio, everybody tune up, you know, and then, uh, you run the, the tune maybe once or twice, and then you do a take. But with Sonny, you go, we went right into the studio, and he started, he came in, and he started blowing, and, you know, we all kind of filed in. When we finished the song, we just ended the tune, and his wife, Lucille, said, that's a take. <laughs> hey. <best to> <laughs> so that was just that 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 was indicative of my of my musical relationship with him. Everything was always spontaneous, and I mean, he would do things it's like an old school of, of of teaching the music, and I don't know if it with Sonny if it's even so much about teaching the music as just the way he learned how to do things, and that's that's what he did you know, Uh but it was a real lesson for me every single night, because many, most of us in the band never knew it was going to happen. You know, I remember one night that we were, there was used to be a club here in New York, the bottom line, a famous club here that we played. And, you know, uh Sonny said, he sent me some music to, to go and uh learn. I wasn't on the gig originally, but he called me like on a Tuesday and he said, look, Clifford, I want you to come down and, and played down at the club, you know, this weekend. So I said, "Well, Sonny, what are you going to play?" And he said, "Well, I'm going to send you some music." Now, mind you, Sonny sending me some music was a unique thing. He would never send me any music. You know, he'd always tell me, like, you know, well, just learn this tune, learn that tune, you know, and uh, just be ready. That was that was pretty much it. <laughs> so, so uh, but this time he sent me four 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 uh, lead sheets. And so, you know, I spent between – I didn't have that much time. It was Tuesday. I got the lead sheets on Wednesday. I had Wednesday and Thursday, and we hit on Friday and Saturday. So the whole Thursday and, – Wednesday and Thursday, I spent learning this music, practicing really hard, learning. So I felt like, okay, I had the tune on my belt. I had these tunes on my belt. Okay, so we get to uh, the bottom line, and the piano player, uh, at that time, uh, a gentleman named Mark Soskin – was in the dressing room. So I walked in, you know, I got there a little early. So, so Mark said to me, he says, oh man, you're making the gig. So I said, yeah, so I said, you know, I said, did Sonny send you that music? So he said, yeah, so he said, he sent you some music. So I, I said, yeah, I these four charts he sent me. So Mark says to me, he sent you four charts? I said, yeah. So he says, well, he sent me 11. I said, 11? <laughs> <laughs> so, so i so i start looking i said well what did she send you so we starting going so i'm trying to I, I, there's no time for me to get this restless music together the place is packed of course the people are waiting around the corner for like you know an hour just to get in you know and everything and everybody's going crazy we come up on the bandstand and we used to have like a running joke in the band because you know the audience was always i you know the, you you would see the faces in the audience and everybody seemed as if they were like, you know, like we, they were looking at us like, oh, we really got it together. But to us, we didn't know what was going to happen. <laughs> so so we get up there and Sonny turns around and he calls one of the tunes that he gave me, right? But he gave me the tune in the key of C, right? And so he called, he turns around, he put, you know, and looks at, at all of us and he says, okay, fellas, you ready? You know, so... Everybody said, Yeah, let's go and so he says, Okay, let's do uh I'll see you again, okay? And like, in G flat, okay? One, two, one and he counted it off in G flat. Oh, <laughs> well, Mark and I Mark and I Bob Cranshaw could follow Bob was used to him for for so many years of playing with him, you know. Mm-hmm. So Bob Cranshaw could go and do go anywhere that Sonny wanted to go, he could go with him easily. But Mark and I were we were scuffling, trying to figure out, like, you know, what key. And uh, that whole night was like just an excursion into, um... <laughs> it was almost like surreal. <laughs> like, you know, Sonny would, we, we, as soon as we figured out the key, then he'd change the key, go somewhere else, you know. And then wow. when we got, when well, we went with him there, then he would go, t- he'd start playing another tune altogether. So we'd find the tune, and then he'd be back in G-flat. And so at the end of the night... I said to Sonny, I, you know, he, I went to his dressing room and I said, "Oh, Sonny, thanks for the, the gig." I said, "But you really got me on that G flat." He says, "Oh, oh, course, you don't, you know, you don't like G flat, you know." So I said, uh, "No, it's not that I don't like G flat, Sonny, but on the trombone, a lot of G flat is like out in the, you know, like the outer, the mid to outer position, so it's a little physically harder to play in that key." So he says, "Oh, okay, okay, I didn't know that, man. Okay, well, you know." Well, why did I say that? Because from that point forward, every tune we played was in G flat for about a year. <laughs> and uh, wow, you know, so that so that that was like kind of the. I mean, I have you know the I have stories upon stories about Sonny, you know, uh, and, and working with him and, and and developing. He never gave me, you know. I had friends that would say, "Oh man, you know, Sonny must be showing you." You know, all this stuff, man. Did he show you what, like, how he plays over this, you know, this this progression or something? And I I would tell them, I said, you know, Sonny has never given me anything like that. He never, he doesn't talk to me that about the music. I said, whatever, Sonny plays stuff at me on the stage. And he'll, so he would, like, play things. And sometimes it would take me, like, you know, weeks to figure out what it was he played, actually. You know, but I mean, he would he would turn and look at me and he'd play something at me, you know. And uh, I thought he was just kind of looking at me at first when he would first do it. But he'd play something at me and then he would go off, you know, and go, you know, go maybe somewhere else on the stage. And then maybe, you know, before the end of the song, he'd come back and in the same section of the song, he'd play it again, play the same thing at me again. And so I realized that oh, that's what he's showing me. That's how he's showing me what it is, but I got to figure out, I got to be able, able to pick it up, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it was a lot of trial by fire that way with with, with with my uncle, you know, playing with him, but it was never, never a dull moment,
1: never a dull yeah. moment, you know. I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know. are you happy your mom, is, or are, are you happy that you got into music, you didn't listen to your mom and not go into it? Is this something that you've thought about and this has been exactly what you wanted to do with your life? Well, you know, uh,
2: the music business is very difficult. It's very hard, and being a trombone player makes it even twice as hard. Uh, it's, it's, so there are difficulties. I'm saying that to say that it's a very difficult road that I've chosen to go down. But with all the issues and the challenges of it, I can't see myself doing anything else uh, because, I, you know, I have a lot of music in me, you know. Um, I, have, uh, uh, I just you know I hear music all the time and I'm I'm just uh, driven by by music. So I don't think that I could really do something else. You know, I mean I could do something else if I if I was forced to, you know. But uh, in terms of of um, a choice of of what I w- I wanted to do in life to be able to uh, try to earn a living, you know, I would still take take this course, you know, with all
1: the difficulties that it has, you know. You know, and then add on top of that, you know, the music industry, a pandemic and things that have gone on that have silenced live music. What do you miss Mm -hmm. the most about performing live? Obviously, the feedback
2: that you get from the audience, uh, that, that that can change the whole dynamic of a performance. You know, if you're not feeling well, you know if you're in a bad mood, if you're just you know and you come up on the stage and you have an audience in front of you that's very you know you have a warm, loving audience in front of you that that is um ready to hear some great music and they're spurring you on then uh that changes your whole demeanor you know and uh it makes you it kind of brings you back. To what you're, what why you're there, what it is that you're doing, and why you're doing what you're doing. Um, for me, people are are very the the energy that I get from people are, are, is very very important, and it's one reason that I made the decision to become a musician. And this goes back to Sonny very quickly. I saw a, a concert that he did. I was I, I was about maybe fifteen at this point, fourteen maybe fifteen years old. And Sonny played at Carnegie Hall here in New York, and he um, he was supposed to have Freddie Hubbard as a special guest. This was a, at a point when Freddie Hubbard was uh like, you know, he's really ascending. I think he did Red Clay, and he had this, I think, maybe straight life record or uh um, I'm not sure, but it was right around that time. Anyway, for whatever reason, Freddie had to back out of the show. I think he got sick. A lot of the people left. Not a lot. I wouldn't say a lot, but some of the people got their their money back, unfortunately, because they had come there, you know, they went to see Freddie with Sonny. But those uh, people, the place was still packed, and uh, we had some good seats. I was sitting there, and and after the first couple of songs, Sonny came up to the microphone, and he said, well, you know, unfortunately, Freddie Hubbard can't be with us tonight, but I got two of my friends to come out, you know, to make things up. So those two friends were Charles Mingus and Dizzy Gillespie. So they came on the stage and the and the concert it was it was incredible it was one of the lasting concerts in my mind you know uh, that I'll never forget. But what the important thing was that um, for me was that after the show and of course the music was so great. But after the show we went backstage and all these people were backstage and the feeling that everybody had back there it was such a, a the energy was so it was so much love and. uh exuberance and happiness, and it was, I had never experienced a group of people, that many people together, that seemed, that was so, that you know, apparently the music had moved them to this point, and when I witnessed that, you know, that's what, that's what rang the bell in me, and I said, you know, this is what I want to do, you know, I want to be able to, to do something that's going to make people feel like this, make people feel this good, you know. Yeah, wow, and, um, that's, and that's that's what changed. That's what changed me from being a, a tennis player, wanting to be a continue being a pursuing a pro tennis player to playing music.
1: What know? a beautiful story, man. Yeah. That's, that's 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 powerful. Um, yeah,
2: and
1: and I, and I guess in that vein, speaking of a live performance that moved you that much, you know, we've been away from it for a while now. What do you hope when we do get back? What I like to call the revival. When, when it happens, hopefully at the end of this year and the next year. What do you hope we all realize about the importance of live music when you get to the bandstand and I return to the crowd?
2: Right. Well, the audience, you know, uh, uh, particularly in this country, the audience has been dummied down so much. I mean, you know, we see these trends, I think, I, I have anyway, in, in, in looking at the arts in general in in, in the United States there's been a dumbing down of uh, of the standards for people to be able to um, appreciate music, you know, the fact that you can stream music. You know, people's I- idea of what the worth of art is has been diminished, you know, not just jazz music, but, I mean, across the board, you know. With this pandemic, I think that people are, re- are really uh, – my sense is that people are really missing that live experience you know i the, i think the audience is missing it as much as the musicians are and i'm my hope is that you know when we come out of this and we start uh, performing live again that uh everyone will uh be more appreciative of of live music you know i was told you know when i started recording i thought that you know in 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 those days uh i'm saying those days this was like in the 70s late 70s uh people um like to uh go out and listen to music all the time i mean it was like you know and i think there was a different appreciation for music at that time i've all i was told you know when 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 i first started recording for that first record that i made with Sonny, uh you know i was very excited about recording with him you know because my whole my whole idea was i used to have these albums and i would look at the albums and i'd look at the musicians who play the albums and there was only a select group of musicians that were recording at the, in those days, you know. I mean, those were like, this was like, uh, uh, I guess, presumably the cream of the cream would be able to record. So, I, you know, to be able to get on a record with Sonny was a big deal to me. But he said to me, he said, no, Clifton, you know, recording is just something that we have to do for the industry. He said, it's good to be able to document yourself to see where you're at, but he said about music it's really the bandstand the bandstand is where it's at live music is where it's at and he told me never forget that you know and i haven't actually but I, and, I, and i've learned to understand exactly why that is you know uh that's that's really where it's at you know so i hope that i'm i'm hoping that that the public you know the the public and i know musicians are craving to play all the time <laughs> we we can't help it we just you know we want to play, you know. You know, I'm on Facebook. I see everybody posting stuff of just of them playing, you know. Even if they're just sitting in their room just playing, they they're posting that because they they want to perform. They want to be able to play and have people appreciate what they're doing. So that's kind of in our nature. We you know we crave we have those kind of cravings. But I think the audience will also. I'm just hoping that the audience will will see now the real uh, worth of live music when we come yeah. back to it. And you know. We'll see. We'll, you know, it's, uh, I, I hope that's what happens.
1: So, everyone has a perception of you your family, your friends, your fans, mm-hmm. but you're the one that's living your life. Who do you mm-hmm. think you are? <laughs> who do I think I am? Wow, that's a very interesting yeah. question. I'm not
2: sure. I know who I, I strive to be. I don't know if I'm a, that thing, that person, you know, but I'm striving at this point in my life to just do what I do. I have a lot of music. And I've played with a lot of people, you know, I've, I've helped to, I've assisted a lot of musicians in making their music sound good, hopefully, you know. So at this stage in my life, I really want to concentrate on my music and bring my music to the world and in trying to be a better inhabitant of the planet on this plane. Uh, and I, and, you know, I've also realized that, um, you know, there's a spiritual out, there, there's a spiritual basis to everything that happens in our physical world, and I think, uh, I'm relating more now at this point in my life to my spiritual center. I'm trying, everything that I'm doing is coming out of that, really. Trying to be a better person, more conscientious, more understanding, you know, more patient, Um that kind of thing, you know, and, and, and not to beat myself up, you know, uh, for my progress or lack thereof, maybe, you know, in all of the, my endeavors, you know, so I'm trying to um, live a little less stressful and a little more productively. And uh, that's, that's the person that I i am trying to be. Now, whether I'm, uh, you know, accomplishing that on a, on a daily
1: basis, I don't know, you know, but that's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> right on, man this has been wonderful man hey thank you for opening up yeah. about the music and about your life and music it's been beautiful uh good luck with everything thank you joe for
2: having me on and uh i hope uh, we will catch up sometime in the near future after this whole pandemic you know i wish everybody in kansas city listening area to uh, be
0: safe and you know to uh, continue we'll be out of this mess hopefully within another several months Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview. Where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in New York, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Clifton for his time, music, and stories. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino in the iTunes Store. Visit Neon at YouTube.com, and for everything Neon Jazz all the time, go to the NeonJazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Been there this
1: road oh.
2: Neon Jazz